Words matter. They can change the course of your day. Just listen. You are brave. You are stronger than you think. You have value, worth, and dignity. Don't you feel better already? Welcome to Speak Healing Words, the podcast. Join author and board-certified life coach Janelle Reardon as she opens a very important conversation about the power of our words. Hello and welcome to Speak Healing Words, the podcast. I am Janelle, your host for today's conversation. We are in a special pandemic COVID-19 series, The Hallways of Home. We have all been called home and that deadline to be at home keeps getting pushed farther and farther and farther into the distance. Here in the state of Virginia, we have a sheltering in place until June 10th, which as of today is 63 more days. But who's counting? Wherever you are in the world, it's going to look and feel different than it does here in my world. As far as a time frame, nobody really knows. This is a pandemic of perplexity that is quite maddening and yet yet is calling each of us to deeper deeper thoughts, deeper considerations and deeper reflection on our current state of life and perhaps on how life is now going to change. We have been invited into a new normal, and I see through the lens of faith, and so therefore I know and believe that God is superintending all of my life, and for some reason that is a mystery to me at this point, life is kind of stopped in many ways, shapes, and forms. We are all home. Churches are now not operating and meeting and congregating face-to-face. Nothing is face-to-face, quite honestly. And every day, the grocery stores are now making aisles one way so that you don't pass other people. And, you know, as I walked around uh, my local Walmart on Sunday, I just felt the atmosphere of disconnection and fear, anxiety, and saw it on so many faces. And I I really was so deeply disturbed. And it really just pressed me to my knees again and to a deeper level of what on earth, God, are you trying to say here? Now, I don't know where you fall in the world of theology and faith and all of that, but it just, we're human beings and we're all being caused to pause and take some serious consideration in the midst of being thrust into now having to be home all the time with primary caregivers, father, mother, single parents. Uh, My husband and I are empty nesters, so we have three grown adult children that live all over the place with their mates and partners and husbands and wives and You know, it's just a bit crazy. Today was interesting because my mother turned 92 
and she is in an assisted living facility and she has been sheltering in place and quarantined for three weeks. So I've not seen her for over three weeks. And every birthday, you know, maybe after 80 is a big deal. And so I always go and we always have a big, lovely celebration with all the residents of the assisted living. I I love to bring in uh, entertainment because they love singing and music. But this year it was different. I wasn't allowed to do that. My siblings and I had to get creative. So we did. And um, I went this morning early with my mask and my gloves to the grocery store and just put together a big old, big old, beautiful birthday Easter basket filled with all, all the things, all her yummy chocolates that she loves, her V8 juice, her caramels, just all of the things that she loves, puzzle books and magazines and put some homemade banana bread that I made last night and some cards filled with love and then my, my three children put together a Insta, well, no, a Facebook Messenger group chat. And uh, my husband and I re- went over to the assisted living and with our masks on, of course, and our gloves. And I had arranged for her to be brought around to the sunroom where I could actually just talk to her through the glass door. And uh, she was finally getting her hair washed and and done and so kind of interrupted her and she's a little flustered but once she connected to the fact that her grandchildren some of her grand not all but some of her grandchildren both all three of her children me my brother my sister and my husband we were all some online some you know my husband and I in person and we all together on the count of three sang her happy birthday I put my hand up to the glass she didn't really She just was so overwhelmed and all of a sudden I could see it on her face, just this connection that happened in her brain that it's my birthday and they showed up. It's my birthday and they actually showed up and she just got really clear and very, very, very emotional And she just kept putting her hands up and motioning like she wanted to hug me and hug Rob. And um, it was just, it was a moment I will never forget in the midst of something so perplexing as this pandemic. And I'm so grateful that she is in a safe place. She feels safe. Uh, She feels seen and is soothed when she's, not feeling safe. So she is in a secure environment. And for that, I'm grateful. And my heart can rest because I know that she is being cared for. And so today was just one of those beautiful moments. And I wanted to share it with you because it has a lot to do with today's message. So today I put up a, a meme, a graphic on Instagram by Dr. Dan Siegel, who, you know, I just, I just love so much. And He says you can't effectively parent from a reactive state. You can't effectively parent from a reactive state. 
And I hesitated before I put it up because the last thing I want to do in the middle of this mess called a pandemic, when we're all trying to find our way, catch our breath, not blow a fuse, not flip our lid, the last thing I would want to do or would ever do would be to project any sense of shame or guilt or hyper responsibility that you have to be a perfect person and be a perfect parent because that's the farthest thing from the truth. That's a lie. None of us are going to be perfect. The Speak Healing Words community is committed. The stronger every day community, we, you know, we're transitioning from Speak Healing Words to stronger every day. So bear with me through the transition. I don't want you to be confused. We are committed to the threefold cord. Oh, go ahead. If, you, if you're here with me and you know me and you've been with me, you know it by heart by now, I hope, because I repeat it all the time for the sake of our memory. A healthy sense of self, that's our identity, healthy behavior patterns, and healthy communication skills. So the beauty of today, when I looked in my mother's eyes as the connection, the aha happened, and she connected that she was loved and that people that love her showed up for her, were present for her, because you know we've been talking about the power of our presence being the greatest gift we can give any soul on earth. Sorry about that. That moment was such a holy moment for me, for my mom, of course, but for me, as I looked and saw the relationship that my siblings and I have come to develop and my children being present for their grandmother in a hard time, them taking time off from their work to put a time together for just last a few minutes, but that would make an eternal impact on their grandmother. And for me, it was a full circle moment because I come from a first family, as some call it, or a family of origins that was dysfunctional as my father was an alcoholic. So my mother became, you know, had to take the realm and of control. And there was just a lot that wasn't healthy inside of that home. And I don't say that to hurt my mother or my father, who is now passed on and in heaven. I say it to call back and help us move forward on how we can leave a legacy behind us of healthy, healthy, healthy. And as much as I've been through with my mom the last decade with her transitioning into an assisted living and all of her health and medical issues, it has forced me to be in the sandwich generation and be between my children and my mother and caregiving. And it's just been so, so, so hard. But today was a moment when I realized we can change, we can become whole, and we can see our families heal and be as healthy as they can be on this present day. Without sharing in too much detail right now, I'm writing about it in my next book, 
Stronger Every Day, Nine Tools for an Emotionally Healthy You. So you can read about it. But my family hasn't always been united. It has been very divided. I have honestly said to you, there are times I hated my father. And now I will be honest, there are things I've hated about seeing in my mother through having to be by her hospital bedside for year after year after year after year and transition into this caregiving role. It opened my eyes to a lot of my mother and her personality that perhaps caused a lot of the difficulty in my parents' marriage. So, you know, when you become an adult child, it's, you know, you're wise and astute and your parents can't hide their problems from you anymore. So I just wanted to call back today to help you move forward in the middle of whatever might be happening today. We, we know that we are all under an amazing amount of pressure because we do not know what's happening or what's coming or so remember you're not called to be a perfect parent but you're called to be a parent who is committed 1000% to being a healthy you so i'm throwing out today a very important quotient uh, equation me plus you equals we it's a very big part of my next book, and I've been writing about it for several years now. But a healthy me and a healthy you equals a healthy we. So I would love, love, love for you parents, caregivers, leaders of any sphere of influence to post this everywhere. Put a big poster in your kitchen, dining room, house, whatever, and start there. We've been talking about how to draw a circle of trust with our families, our little families that are now being thrust into being together 24 hours a day, seven days a week, primarily. How do we draw ourselves together and have healthy conversations? How do we develop an emotional intelligence and an emotional language where we all treat one another as Jesus imaged for us with kindness and love and joy and patience, long-suffering, perseverance, humility, grace. How do we do that? So today I'm offering you another suggestion to start a conversation by maybe allowing the kids to develop a poster that says me plus you equals we. And of all the times in our family history, the ones that we've had the years to live, you know, the last pandemic was 1918. So it's been a long time. None of us, I was not alive. Most of us were not. My mother was born in 1928. So you'd be 102 if you were in the last pandemic. And I don't think there's many of us, especially listening to this podcast that are 102 years old. But if you are, bravo. We know that this is a time that will make or break us. It will make or break us. We're already seeing the divorce rates in China after the Wuhan experience. We're seeing domestic violence rising, child abuse. We know that this situation will make or break us. And in this community, we're going to have it make us. It's going to make us stronger every single day. And at the end of this strange, strange journey, 
I want us to open our homes, walk back into the community stronger than ever. Heart, mind, and body. I'm, I know I set high goals, but I believe in you. I believe you have the capacity and the potential to be a whole human being who is remarkable. I just know that you can. So I want to start uh, just a, a short conversation. I know I always say that. I do. I'm going to start a conversation today about how to parent and lead from a responsive or receptive state, not a reactive state. And I'll start with this quote. The lesson is one of deep importance. The only humility that is really ours is not that which we try to show before God in prayer, but that which we carry with us and carry out in our ordinary day. The insignificances, lean in here, of daily life are the importance and the test of eternity. Now we see from the framework of faith so what matters in eternity, what matters in the big scheme of things is our daily life, our conduct, the way we conduct ourselves inside our homes every single day. Because this proves that conduct proves what really is the spirit that possesses us. It is in our most unguarded moments that we really show and see what we are. I'm going to read that again. It is in our most unguarded moments uh, that we really show and see what or who we are. D.L. Moody said it this way, or was it Spurgeon? I think it was Moody. Character is what a man is in the dark when no one's looking, when no one else is looking. That proves who you really are. To know the humble man, to know how the humble man behaves, you must follow him in the common course of daily life. It's by Andrew Murray out of his book, Humility, which is quoting from my book, Rock Solid Families. And I wrote a lot about Andrew Murray and his methodology of raising children for Christ in practice or <laughs> stone 11 grace in Rock Solid Families. So just what about, oh my, I guess today was so powerful for me because I know that my mother and my father didn't have the emotional health tools they needed. I know my mother absolutely did not have the emotional, mental game or intelligence to live and be married to an alcoholic. She was raised in a very secure home by uh, immigrants from the Czech Republic. My grandfather came in the third grade. My grandmother came in the first grade. My grandmother had 22 siblings, I believe. I think 14, 17 lived. 
My grandfather was just a good old man. He went through eighth grade, but made a living. They lived in a beautiful, tiny little house, four children, and they didn't own a car ever. They never owned a car. They were the simplest people. They were immigrants. This was my mom's, you know, first generation uh, American, I guess you would say, right? So my mom had a good stable home. She goes off to boot camp. She was one of the first Marines. She marries this good looking, hunky, charming man from Philadelphia, from the hood, basically. Oh, so she's from Wisconsin. He's from the hood. And, you know, she really didn't know what she was getting herself into by far. And there were probably signals, but who really knows, right? So she marries into this alcoholic marriage. He's a philanderer. He has many affairs. And, you know, it just, I know it wasn't easy for my mother. And so I did not receive secure attachment by any means. And neither did my siblings. And so we've just, you know, we've found our way. And I came to faith in college uh, on the brink of age 21. So after that, my faith really was framed and just the grace of God, grace, grace, and more grace through my life, through great mentors, that he has enabled me to become more and more and more secure as I share all the time. You know, many of us may have not had a home a very secure home. And so therefore, we're working at a deficit. And I think most of my audience for sure is an audience that works from a deficit of some uh, of some magnitude, some more than others, some less than others. But I wanted to read this from Living Nonviolent Communication, which is my go-to book when I'm working with families who have come from situations much like my own who have no clue how to parent from a responsive state. They live in the reactive state, which defined a reactive state just takes many forms. It can be mild, it can be moderate or intense, and it means that you're coming from a state of fight, flight, freeze, or as we now know, fawn or faint. So we're coming from, we're, we're moving through life with unresolved negative traumatic emotions that are stored in our amygdala where our fight, flight, freeze, fawn is state. And so we live out of that state of heightened emotions. We're not steady. We're not stable. We're reacting to something all the time. So when we do not receive secure attachment, and just go back to listen to the earlier podcast on that because it's very thorough. When I live and I move through an insecure or an ambivalent or attachment, an insecure attachment, I'm living out of a reactive state, which means I'm living out of my amygdala and I'm incapable on so many levels of being stable. So when I think of stable, I think of this morning, and I was just sharing this with my daughter, Brooke, on a conversation on her lunch break. I think of Joanna Gaines, Chip and Joanna Gaines, the fixer uppers, right? From Waco, Texas. And Joanna is publishing her second 
recipe book and she was on Skype or FaceTime or whatever on the Today Show today. And I just soaked in her words. So here's a woman who runs a multi-million dollar business with her husband. The whole world knows them. They're, they're, they've just come to celebrity fame. They live on a big old farm and they have four kids. And she too is a mom, just like us, a working mom. They're working parents. And they're thrust into the blue skies of the unknown in this pandemic, just like us. They're humans, just like us. But when I listened to her, I thought, oh my goodness, she has secure attachment. She's so stable. She was just like, yeah, this is just really difficult. And you know, if you've watched the show Fixer Upper, you can know that she doesn't get rattled easily. And I think she is who she is in front of the camera. I think she's, well, like we were saying, her character in the dark is the same as the character we see in the light. I, I would be shocked to learn otherwise. Because Chip is just always so hyper and she's just so stable and they just crack me up. And I learned from her today. She was like, I am just managing it. I put cards and puzzles and games and things on the dining room table to give them options. The interviewer asked her, do you have a rigid schedule? And she was like, oh, no, 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 no. But all my kids are tending to kind of awake at the same time and you know, we have a rhythm, it's not rigid, and it's just, she was so peaceful and so relaxed. I'm baking more than I should, I'm eating more desserts than I should. She wasn't rattled. Yes, I know she's on camera. Does she ever get rattled? I'm sure she does. She is not perfect, no one is perfect. But what emanates from her character is that resilience that remarkability that we talked about uh, in the beginning of this special series during the pandemic. She has a deep collective rest. I believe she moves through life from a place of collected strength. And she is more apt to do that, I believe, because of her grounding. Who knows? She just images it well, and I want us to learn from that. So I don't see the Joanna Gaines in the world moving from a reactive state. They move from a responsive state inside of their brain, which means they may have either resolved these negative memories and things that have negative emotions hooked to them and they're still in the amygdala, or they have resolved them and now they move through life more from their free prefrontal cortex and their hippocampus where we're more able to be stable and able to move from a resilient state. So in non in living nonviolent communication, an amazing book by Marshall Rosenberg. Please, if you don't have this, I'm highly recommending that you have it on a shelf so that when you have more time, you can begin to train your children in this living nonviolent communication methodology, which uh, Marshall, Dr. Rosenberg developed as a result of, let me just read this from the book. He said, this evolved out of an intense interest that he had in two questions. First, I wanted to better understand what happens to human beings that leads some of us to behave violently and exploitively. Okay, that's coming in the next broadcast episode of The Anatomy of Yelling. 
So he is saying, I wanted to understand why some people live from a state of behaving violently, explosively, and second, I wanted to understand better what kind of education serves our attempts to remain compassionate, which I believe is our nature, even when others are behaving violently or exploitively. The theory that has been around for many centuries says that violence and exploitation happen because people are innately evil, selfish, or violent. But I have seen people who aren't like that. I have seen people who enjoy contributing to one another's well-being. So he wondered, this is what stirred within Dr. Rosenberg to study and write his book, just like the things in my own history and life have stirred me to write and, and move through my journey of writing for emotional health and spiritual authenticity. He wondered why some people seem to enjoy other people's suffering, hmm. while other people are just the opposite. So in his exploration of these two questions, he found that the following three factors, lean in here, are very important in understanding why some of us respond violently. Now he uses the word res respond, but in Dr. Siegel's work, it would be why we move and live out of a reactive state. Why do some of us live out of a reactive state and not out of a receptive, responsive state? He says there are three common traits. The language that we have been educated to use. The language. So in my practice and in my work, I call it the language of love. Some of us have been raised in a culture, a family culture, that is a language of shame, a language of anger, a language of discontent and irritability. And I overall just call that a language of shame because shame language is belittling, it's hurtful, it's full of hate, it's full of um, oppressive words that make people feel small, it's filled with yelling, it's filled with disgust. And so in my practice, in our work here in this community, we have two languages. We have the language of love, which we're developing every day, and we have the language of shame. And so one of the first ways to begin being, being a human being who then becomes a parent, the first very important step towards becoming a parent who lives out of the receptive, responsive state is to do this work on your language and your emotional intelligence. You've got to start here, excuse the sound of the gardeners and the lawn mowers in the background. I have tried to find a space where that isn't going on, but it's an 85 degree day, so I am doing the best I can with trying to not have that in the background. So just practice mindfulness here and try to hear the words. So the first key factor is our language that we use. So I want, I want you to be paying attention to that and kind of assessing yourself while administering grace to yourself and self-compassion because you're imperfect and you are going to make a lot of errors in your parenting. But is the dominance of your language that you use in parenting, is it 
love and grace-based or is it shame-based? Are you angry and yelling all the time, belittling, or are you offering compassion and grace to your children? How have we been taught to think and communicate is his second factor. Well, this is the passion of my whole entire work is to help you retrain and reframe perhaps yourself from having been parented by people in a reactive state, right? I know that's my mother parented, God rest and bless and love her on her birthday today, God bless her. She parented out of a reactive state. She didn't know any different. And that's why I still today have been able to walk alongside of her and she has been humble and able to listen to me and what I'm learning so that she can be a better person at 92. She's been very, most of the time, very open and accessible to hearing me because we have developed a relationship that's built on trust and respect. She respects me. She listens to me. So what was okay back in the days when she didn't know any better is now not okay. Because you know our mantra, friends, (laughs) when we know better, we do better. So after listening today, you're going to know better. And so I'm challenging you to do better. The third factor in understanding why some of us respond reactively and some of us respond in a a receptive, healthy way is the specific strategies we have learned to influence others and ourselves. So within that, Dr. Rosenberg is inferring and speaking of the way that we have learned to show up for life. We call that our personality in this community. We call that our coping strategies and our defense mechanisms. He's saying, you've learned how to protect yourself, your real true self, and you've done that probably in some really unhealthy ways. So we talked about that earlier as well. I'm a repressor. I learned repression. That was part of the language and the ways that I was taught to navigate through life. My survival instinct said, if you don't do this, if you don't shut up, swallow what you're really feeling, you're gonna really be in a mess. So I've had to do a lot of work on learning to use my voice, which I now equate with my value because once I learned that I had value, that God breathed his life into me and gave me his beautiful virtues and endowments to live this life, then I was able to understand my worth and my dignity. And then I was able to knew I had secure attachment that no matter what I do, God, my heavenly father is going to love me 
He's going to hold me accountable, but he's going to love me unconditionally. So some of the basic needs that Dr. Rosenberg speaks about uh, in living nonviolent communication is we all have a need of autonomy. That is a need to choose our own dreams, goals, and values. Autonomy. We all have needs for celebration, celebrating the creation of our life and our dreams being fulfilled. We have a need for authenticity, integrity, creativity, interdependence. We do not want to be so independent that we don't need anybody. We don't want to be codependent that we can't live without anybody. We want to be interdependent, which means acceptance, appreciation, closeness, community, consideration, contributing to the enrichment of life, emotional safety, and empathy. We need physical nurturance. We need to know we're cared for. We need to have play. We need to have spiritual communion with others. We need to choose um, and, and live within a community. So today, I'm going to leave you with this. This is going to be a part two and a three. You can already tell it coming on. So parents, what, what if this season of sheltering in place is perhaps being, has been brought into our life for such a time as this and giving us an opportunity to step back from our life and really have the time and space because all of our activities have been ceased. What if this is really a call to our family to train, retrain, frame and reframe the way we do life and the way we treat one another? What if it's about something bigger? What if it is about things that are bigger in life than rewards, awards, money, stature, status, being a big shot? What if it's about more than materialism? What if it's about the things in life that really, really make a better life and a meaningful family life? What if it's about thoughtfulness? What if it's about kindness? What if it's about selflessness, but also about self-compassion and self-care? What if it's about, hmm, fill in the blank. What if it's about really loving one another well and knowing each other well? What if it's about that? Louis Pasteur, the great French biologist who studied the principles of vaccination and pasteurization in the late um, 1800s, he said this, chance favors the prepared mind. Chance prepares the, chance favors the prepared mind. I read that and I added to that. I stood on his shoulders and I'm standing on them now. And I say, what about life and meaningfulness favors 
the secure person, the secure family. What are we preparing our children for that we can't see? What's in the bigger picture, picture of life? And so I'm going to end with the four-part nonviolent communication process from Dr. Rosenberg's book. He said there are four, it's a four-part process. Observation. So what do I observe when I see, hear, remember, imagine, free from my evaluations that does or does not contribute to my well-being? So he is, he's saying, let me flip the page in my notes here because I wrote some other notes. He's saying in my relationships and in my family, within my family, what about if we applied healthy observation? So I would say, I see and hear you saying. And then you would say, I see and hear what you're saying. So that we're observing the relationship from both sides. We're not just completely and totally selfish and just shouting out at our children what we want them to do. We're actually engaging them in this cooperative, cooperative, collaborative relationship where we are very clear with ourselves and our children and the whole family is very clear using positive action language, he calls it, clearly saying what we do want when we make a request by using clear action verbs. I see and hear that you want to spend 10 hours on the, using the screens. I see and hear you clearly, but I need you to see and hear me clearly, 10-year-old, 8-year-old Johnny or Susie. We in this family value FaceTime. We value talking to one another. We value deepening our relationships. And we can't do that when you are spending 10 hours on a screen. So we're going to shut all of the digital distractions off. And we're going to sit in a circle of trust. Or we're going to go for a walk. And we're going to just get to know each other. And we're going to have a conversation. We're going to have a dialogue. I'm going to talk and you're going to listen. You're going to talk and I'm going to listen. <laughs> Isn't that a novel idea? We're going to start looking at the second part of this process, our feelings. Oh, I know. Many of you hate this, depending on who you are, right? But you're going to begin saying, I feel this. And you're going to... Let them say, I feel this. So my husband and I started implementing this in a very big way a couple years ago when I was really learning and growing and coming into this understanding of my own health and well-being. And I needed to let, I was not being clear with the way that I talked to him. I was being very passive aggressive. I was being very repressive. And I finally said, when you say that to me and you use that tone, I am really hurt. I feel very, very small. I feel like you don't love me. He was like, oh my God, I had no idea. And then he was able to say to me, when you say that in that tone, or for me, when you shut down and don't use your words, 
I feel very abandoned and very isolated. So that's what I'm talking about. And that's what Dr. Rosenberg and Dr. Siegel and all of these brilliant, brilliant scientists and psychologists who are are helping us learn how to move through life from a responsive, reactive, a responsive state, not a reactive state, so that we can actually have very meaningful relationships. The third part of the nonviolent communication process is needs. Letting the other person really know what it is you need. Being clear with your words and your language. So for some of that mean, us means we're going to have to do some work and understand how to do that. They call it needs literacy. <laughs> Knowing how to really say what you need. I need you to sit down for a few seconds or minutes and really hear what I'm saying. Will you put that down? Will you look at me? Will you look in my eyes? Will you hear me, please? So one of the things I had to do in my life is I needed to really know I was loved. I had such an insecure attachment. So for a while, when we when I started introducing this to my three children, I think I've said this before, it was so sweet because my oldest, my older daughter would be like, Mom, before we would sign off on the phone, I just want you to really remember that I love you, that you have value, worth, and dignity. So they would read, I told them what I needed, and then they would speak it back to me. And now that I have come to a more secure position, I don't need it as much because I am secure. And I know that I'm loved and I'm not going to be abandoned and I'm, I'm, I'm going to have my needs met and I'm going to be cared for because I now have secure attachment. So the fourth part is request. In the needs, you're also going to talk about what you value. And I already said that in when we were going over the feelings part. So request, you will begin to say things like, would you be willing to maybe clean the dishes after dinner and allow me to have a half an hour of me time so I can catch my breath? Would you be willing to pitch in and do this? We have to use our words and we have to use them clearly. So four parts to this nonviolent communication process that you can start to put into practice with the entire family as you put up that beautiful equation, me plus you equals we. Observation, I see and hear you. I hear what you're saying. I need you to now hear me. Feelings, I feel hurt. I feel sad. I feel sick to my stomach when you use that tone of voice, mommy. I need you to stop slamming the cabinets, right? We've talked about that in an earlier episode. Now, above all else, this is going to require parents, you to commit to being the role model here to being the one to first say, I want to be different. I want to be a better person. So I'm going to start doing these things and putting these things in place so that our family can be a better family and have better relationships. And every day we're going to do better because we know better. And the end result of this will be a strong, stable, very secure, imperfect, emotionally healthy, emotionally intelligent 
family. And that, my friends, is our whole entire mission here in this community. Wow, I went really long. God bless. I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. It was great having you here. For even more great content and conversation, please join the Speak Healing Words community at JanelleReardon.com.